Hello and welcome back to our first Conversations with Clearbell episode of 2023 with me, Iona. Now in recent months, I've been keenly focused on putting together our annual sustainability report, which was published at the end of January. And so for this month's episode, I'm going to hand over to two of my colleagues who sit on our ESG committee with me, Managing Partner Rob West and Associate Director Alice Murray. Now, Rob and Alice will discuss what they think the key areas of focus will be when it comes to sustainability for 2023. So over to you, Rob and Alice. So Alice, I know a lot of your day at the moment is spent um, on the subject of ESG with the particular focus on sustainability and how to make our buildings more energy efficient. But just before we go into a wider chat, it's just worth saying that we've obviously been trying to calculate the the premium that we're really going to drive in terms of performance from making our buildings as sustainable as possible. And the data is a bit murky, but we did dig out some data from MSCI that showed that um, London office buildings achieving a 25% premium for green buildings versus brown buildings. Now, we really struggled to get into the methodology. They did claim that they used an, an hedonic model that stripped out other variables such as location, building age, and other amenities, but it's still a little bit opaque. Uh, and in fact, I was on a call this morning with Jones Lang, and they were talking about buildings that are BRIAM rated achieving a 20% rental premium, which is quite interesting. They also had data that showed across the big six UK office markets outside London that they were seeing a th- roughly a 3.5% rental incremental increase for each EPC band you go up. So that I, I actually was not quite as much as I was expecting in many ways, but it was at least some data to support um, <clears throat> the, the clear uh, sort of empirical evidence that we're seeing that, that you're going to do much better with energy efficient buildings. Sorry, that was a rather longer preamble than I meant to. But just um, looking at our own portfolio, what, what are we seeing? What are the valuers telling us when they come to look at our buildings? It's interesting that JLL have, have seen and identified this premium because the thing that I would say we have seen is the brown discount rather than the green premium. And what we're finding is that in some cases for the first time, our valuers are now asking for our EPCs of our buildings, and then they're factoring in the costs of improving those EPCs. Therefore, there is a discount on the value if, if we aren't at you know, a C or better. So, so that's what we have seen. And, and it's interesting that it's taken the valuers this, this long to start factoring in, in environmental credentials. There's also asking us more about whether we have BRIAM accreditations. Um, and it'll be interesting to work out how that affects valuations as well. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because that, that um, Jones-Lang evidence, JLL evidence, would suggest that you get a greater premium for, for BRIAM rating than you do for, for just EPC improvements. Yeah, and is that on lettings or is it on sale? Is it actually just reducing your void as opposed to on the actual headline rent or the headline sale price that you get? Yeah, those are all key factors, obviously, that all drive performance as opposed to just rental, as you say. Um, it's interesting because... In our experience, when we're looking at new deals, uh, the valuation that we're being presented with from the seller doesn't really seem to factor in the full cost of achieving that brown to green transition. There's clearly been a big increase in build costs over the last 12, 24 months, but I think there is still a valuation 
reckoning to come on some of those brand buildings to get them to a level at which point they become liquid. Having said that, though, our acquisition price is reflecting it because in all of our business plans, when we make an acquisition, we include a pathway to EPCB and the associated costs. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. And that, that is, I think, a factor of finding motivated sellers who, who are uh, prepared to sell at the right value today rather than necessarily um, clinging on to a value that, that looks increasingly hard to justify. So it was also interesting to, to hear that the, the, the more core the buyer, the more they're looking for BRIAM and, and EPC good buildings. So if you're selling into the institutional market, you need to be outperforming on an energy perspective. But if you're selling to value-add investors or REITs who are looking to asset manage, they're actually specifically looking to target buildings that are brown because they can make money and we can make money out of that transition. Yeah. The the other thing, though, that we need to consider is, are we moving more towards BRIAM and away from EPCs? I mean, we've discussed this in the past that EPCs are flawed and um, I know there have been articles about it recently because EPCs are measuring the energy performance at day one, and that might not even be taking into account the tenant's fit-out, which obviously impacts the energy performance of a building. Whereas something like BRIAM, that's the entire life cycle of a building, um, in, you know, from construction through to consumption, taking into account what the tenant would be doing. So I think there's going to be more of a shift towards BRIAM and potentially even neighbours, or maybe there'll be a new certification. So at, at the moment, we're putting a lot of weight on EPC, but is that the right thing? Or is it just because it's the easiest thing to benchmark? Yeah, no, you're quite right. And I, I have mixed feelings about this because I, I do feel a lot of our strategy over the last 24 months has been focused on EPC improvement. And if the goalposts are moved, and I think there's a very good case, as you say, to suggest they should be moved, uh, then that work will, to some extent, um, uh, have been wasted. But we're focusing ourselves on, on the neighbours. And in fact, if you look at our Glasgow development, we're focused there on delivering a five-star neighbours. Uh, and that will be, I think, the first building in the city that reaches that benchmark. Um, so that's exciting. And, and we think that will give us a really good chance to achieve premium rents and yields uh, when we come to let and sell that building. Yeah, what we need to see, though, is justification in terms of rental premiums or exit values that justifies the additional cost of all of the works which are required and the different plant, et cetera, within a building to get you that neighbor's rating. Yeah, I think these guys are making pretty bold assumptions on that and not evidence-based, as you say. Yeah. But this, but it's, I think there's such momentum behind it, um, uh, behind this drive for sustainability, that they feel that it will be something that will be required at the time. Yeah. To be honest, even though EPCs do have flaws, it's a really good start. It's a good benchmark. It's making landlords really think, especially with the MEs, um, which are minimum energy efficiency standards coming through. And it, it's it's moving us in the right direction. It's the starting. We're at the starting line. Yeah, it is. And it, you, you've outlined some of the imperfections, but one of the others is that there is a disparity between one assessor and another and assessments through time can change and, and through not necessarily for the right reasons, you can get a better score uh, on rechecking. Um, so that, that is, the system is, is far from perfect. But as you say, it's, it's, the, it's the best we have at the moment. Yeah. The other slight contradiction is for things like energy performance or for your pre-amp, pre-amp rating to improve that, you actually need to reduce the occupational density of a building. So you have the agents on the one hand saying that you need a one to eight occupancy density. This is in an office building. 
but then your energy certification will improve if it's only a one to 10 or one to 12 occupational density. And realistically, post COVID, what do occupiers want? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that that realistically, no one's going to be in, in reality needing to occupy at one to eight um, on enough um, regularity to justify. But of course, agents are looking for the, the building that ticks every box. Um, but I think, you know, in some cases you have to pick your battles, don't you? Yeah. The other battle that's coming is embodied carbon from a planning perspective. Not that it's it's anything to, to be concerned about. In fact, it's completely the right thing. It, it, it doesn't make any sense from an environmental perspective to knock down a perfectly good building to replace it with something else that's more energy efficient, um, bearing in mind all the additional carbon that that process generates. So it's something that we're we're really supportive of. We see tremendous opportunities, albeit you do need the experience because it's not straightforward. You know, taking a building that's 100 years old and 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 effectively rebuilding it uh, for today's um, office requirements is is a expensive and time-consuming process, and you've got to know what you're doing. Um, as how are you getting on with um, the Kodak building? Yeah, well, I think that you know part of the irony is that actually retrofitting a building can cost a lot more than building one from the ground up. Um, and as as you know, we've had complications at Kodak. It's a listed building. Um, but we have got to an EPCB and we are targeting Briam Excellent, which is a great result. But it just does take longer and um, there are greater risks with retrofitting. But the hope is you do then have a fantastic product you've, and you've got more embodied carbon in the building. It's better, it's better for the environment. And that, that takes us back to the, is this a day one energy efficiency thing or is this in its whole life cycle We've got a scheme which is better from a whole life cycle perspective, which is where people are concentrating their efforts more. Yeah, and I think that's got to be right. And and I think not only that, but you get a building of great character uh, in a great location. I mean, we've been very office focused, I guess. What are are we seeing on industrial and retail or life sciences? Well, it's interesting. I think... uh, in terms of retail, there's a big issue coming down the tracks as if shopping centers haven't suffered enough over the last decade. I think there's a there's a big energy performance uh, problem that needs to be resolved there. Um, and it's going to be really challenging in light of the, the difficulty in terms of making those profitable from a rental perspective. Uh, life, life science is interesting. Everyone obviously is building and building new life sciences to a really good uh, Briam spec, but we've got a site out in Oxford. And we were surprised to hear feedback from the agents that that is really the last thing um, that the laboratory operators in, in Oxford are, are interested in, which is, which is a surprise to us. I think it's more a factor of the lack of supply there today. Um, I think given the choice, I'm sure um, there would be a preference for energy efficient buildings, but there's just such a tight supply at the moment that that's unfortunately a luxury they can't at the moment um, afford to hold out for. But, but that will change. And I think if you're building for the future, you've got to future-proof your assets across all asset classes. Um, uh, logistics is a, is a, is a challenge. Although you've been successful in something like the Mapstone portfolio, Alice, in terms of raising the EPCs across the board there. Yeah, generally, it seems to be relatively straightforward to improve a industrial unit to an EPCB, provided you install LED lights and you remove the gas supply. Um, but the, tri- the tricky bit with industrial is getting tenants to share their consumption data with you. And funnily enough, the two tenants that we do have in Oxford Science Park, which you just mentioned, they have been happy to give us their consumption data. Um, and 
the reason that we need the tenant consumption data and the landlord consumption data is to really understand how much energy our buildings are using so that we can then create science-based targets to reduce that energy consumption. And it's been it's been a battle that we've been going through for the last year and one that we are grabbing by the horns this year. Um, and it seems that the only way that we can really solve the battle is to be installing automatic meter reads throughout all of these utility supplies. So we're going to try and start with all of the landlord supplies, which we can control. And then we're going to have to go out to all of the tenants and try and get them on board to share that data with us. But as I said, it's a lot harder, especially with industrial tenants. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it shouldn't be such a battle, should it? Because we're all trying to work in the same direction here. Um, uh, and every every company really is, is, has sustainability targets they want to try and meet. So you'd have thought it would be a bit more straightforward, but it is. Um, it remains a big frustration and, and something that's going to keep you busy at least for another year, I would guess, to try to get on top of the situation. And 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 I think we're ahead of other people from what I hear in terms of our data collection. Yeah, I mean, it highlights the importance of an asset manager and tenant relationship. So we're going to have to work on those more than we already do. What was the stat we heard from uh, Avora? Something like eight, only eight percent of data is collected. Um, yeah, in the UK. In the UK, and, and how much we're collecting? What, twenty-five percent or so? No, more than that. Oh, I beg your pardon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, that's, uh, I think, a, a quick run through of the, the key issues that are really focusing our minds from an ESG perspective uh, at the moment, and, and like to be the key issues that uh, Alice and the team are going to be resolving throughout the course of twenty twenty three and beyond. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Clearbell. If you would like to be sent a copy of our sustainability report, or you have a topic that you wish to be discussed in the future, you can email at conversations at clearbell.com. And if you like this podcast, make sure you like and subscribe so you are notified every time a new episode is released.